Hello again, loyal out of your league listeners. It's been fun, are, this, isn't are it? Are there any? There are a few. There are definitely a few. This name, is, name them. Um, Carol Wilkin. Uh, what was um, the pirate name? The guy's name? Jibbers. Jibbers, um, Captain Jibbers. He's, he's a good still lad. listening. He's he a messages great lad. me. He's, does he? Yeah. Oh, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. He was there from day one. From day I'm worried dot. about him. Kieran <laughs> Jones. <laughs> Kieran any, Jones. Kieran Jones. Have done any research into Captain Jibbers? No. I think he left the country at some stage, but not. We're not sure behind the. Where are we? Jobs has pulled a, a, a piece of uh, pizza bread, bread from yeah. underneath the circle, God. which is strange. I don't know why Probably he's still that. Probably still This is episode 15, by the way. Episode 15 of the season, nah, the third last one of this beautiful campaign. Could be the um, third last one ever. It could the be. The way this has gone. This could be your third last day ever on this planet. <laughs> That's how you should live your life. And uh, not long to go, Mark, until the grand final. Very exciting. Are you? Are you excited? Yeah, I am actually, yeah. 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 I think once you, well, once I've retired from the game, I enjoy it more as a spectator rather than being But you can only involved. enjoy it as a spectator. No, but if you once, play... Once you stop playing, he though. Did, he did for Salford and St. Helens, didn't No, he? no, but you can only enjoy it as a spectator once you stop playing, Mark. That's what I said. Since you've stopped playing, yeah. you can only enjoy it as a spectator. I but no, but I enjoy it that I thought... Mark. I didn't think I would do, actually. I think yeah. I'd be like, oh, rugby. But I actually go, oh, rugby. Yeah. <laughs> different. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Different drinks for different needs yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> very good uh, look anyway um i know john there's always some bit of correspondence to bring you great and bearing in mind we recorded last week there's not too much traffic as they say great. in the social media world that's on, good it's good to on know twitter um, i know you, you're on instagram because there's a lot of baking videos and stuff in the there morning is, but you're yeah. not, not on twitter so the way to get to john is on on instagram if you want to directly message him <laughs> but i always like to bring you a couple of things so there's, there's not much actually john to be fair good you know good and bad so let's just good. pick a few no, um they'll sean, pick a good one. sean says signing john wilkin what a shrewd bit of business by salford a lot of a lot of Salford fans mm. owning you. A lot uh, of love on Twitter, huh? A lot, a lot of love. Well, is I think it? they just John's just inspired Salford to potentially go on and win the mm. grand final, but we'll see. Um, uh, Brian says John Wilkin is an arse puppet, which I was trying to think. That's I was thinking good. about that. What is an arse puppet? Mm. It's uh, <laughs> well, it's a man with a fist up his bottom. Will <laughs> being worked like <laughs> a puppet. Oh, like a, <laughs> and that's a Salford fan. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And Ben's been in touch. Um, he's actually conducted a poll, which I thought was quite creative. Right. Um, and Ben uh, had this, I don't know if you saw this, John, on Twitter, if no. you've got any kind of like uh, alias accounts or anything. But no. uh, he says, interested in the results here as he divides opinion. Whatever you thought of him as a player or even a person, do you <laughs> like John Wilkins' commentary? <laughs> How well do they know him? And, and the results are in, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. And 38% uh, of the, uh, yeah. the globe's population said yes. 38%, that's not bad. Oh, yeah, 38%. Forty-three um, percent said no, mm-hmm. and there was a, a, the nuance percentage was was nineteen percent. Is that don't know? Yeah, I think it's don't know, undecided slash bit of both. <laughs> well, it's not just, just indifferent to the question could yeah. be as well. Well, look, th- I mean, I'd cling yeah. on to the thirty percent. I'm taking that. Is, is I, think, I think that's a win. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Um, was that all of the Salford fans voted on that? Because that's one vote. Yeah, we did. Yeah, a lot of us <laughs> did. Yeah, another another dagger, another dagger <laughs> in the Salford. Um, Salford fans' hearts. They'll fill that stadium one day, won't they? Anyway, let's get to our beautiful oh. guest who's standing by, waiting by. He is patiently. He hasn't cracked a smile yet. He's wondered what he's got himself in for on these, <laughs> these Australian-looking couches. We are joined this week, John and Mark, mm. by the Wigan assistant coach, Warrington legend, 25 years as a player mm-hmm. and a coach there. Grew up a Salford fan, Mr. Did Lee you? Breers. Oh. Yeah. No, no sorry, St. Helens fan. What am I talking about? John Wilkin was about to punch him. Braz was a fan. Lee, thank you so much, mate, for coming down. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's 
looking forward to it. Well, you say that now. You know, there's still, still another hour, an hour to go. But yeah, if the start was anything to go, <laughs> on, I don't know. It's downhill from there. Yeah. yeah, that's the best bit. Just out of curiosity, <laughs> if if you had taken part in the John Wilkin poll, which way would you have voted? Oh, I'd have, I like him as a per, as a commentator. As a person, as a commentator. You do. You think he's good. Think he's good for the game. Yeah. Very bit much of, so. Bit of the Roy Keynes about him. Yeah, I think he's different, but. Obviously, sitting in his coffee shop, I would say that because it'll be uh, after three drinks from now on. <laughs> 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 got free coke for me before free coke. Yeah, yeah, two, yeah, ca yeah. two cans of coke, actually. How much is that? Two, two cups of beers. Two cups of quid. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. I must be doing something wrong. <laughs> we don't mess up. <laughs> um, Lee, we had Jason Robinson on recently, and uh, I mean, boys, he was amazing, wasn't he? We'd Very good. Two parts, he was so good, two and a half hours. He wants to come on again because there's just so much to get off his chest. I thought it was really, really good. And it, it kind of got me thinking, I don't know if you listened to any of it, but it just got me thinking about your sort of relationship with, with Jason. Obviously, you played against him so many times and had some, some crazy battles against him. What your, what your memories of Jason and what he's gone on to do? Uh, honestly, I've, I've watched him run through a lot of defences a lot of the time and just <laughs> been in awe of him. Yeah. He, you know, he was in the, the great Wigan sides, what I grew up watching, actually. And being a St. Holland's fan at the time, he was a thorn in, in the St. Holland's team's side. And, and then obviously to, to take the same field as him and to play against him, you know, he's an absolute legend. He was just, he's probably one of the, one of the quickest blokes, you know, for his size, mm. he could beat you in a phone box. Yeah. It was sensational. <laughs> he was amazing, wasn't he? Just how kind of mm -hmm. open he was. I've not really heard, I've known him a long time, Jason. I've not heard him speak like that. And yeah, yeah. A lot of topics which I kind of just, he just dropped like it was common knowledge. I don't think a lot of it was. Yeah, no, he, he, he's, he's a deep sort of thinking guy, isn't mm -hmm. he? You know, and um, he's an incredibly talented guy. You know, he, the way he played the game was, was truly different. Uh, you know, I think there's a period where he was just untouchable mm -hmm. in, in both codes. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of people who ever achieve that, really, is where they can play both codes of the game and just be untouchable both sides of it you know we've seen num a number of people try it Sam Burgess was untouchable at, in league but he you know he played union he was very good but he wasn't like mm. different different level whereas Jason at that time regardless he yeah. was untouchable wasn't it yeah. I thought what was quite interesting was how much he thought about the game he said yeah. that um, a lot of times people who watched it or, or his teammates would uh, assume it was all instincts, but he was—he would talk—he he talked through his process of mm. what he would make defenders do to make them look silly, and you could see there was a lot of rugby intellect in there rather yeah, than yeah. just the impulse that people think. That's a good point, Flash. Actually, we're talking about rugby intellect, which mm. <laughs> you know, it's having Lee Braz here. Mm. It, the, the, the reason I was excited to chat to Lee is because of the concept of rugby intelligence versus yeah. athletic intelligence. Yeah. Now, I, look, Jason Robinson, without doubt, would be nine out of 10 athletically. And, and in terms of his, his game intelligence, you know, I don't think he's, he, he's as high as the guy we've got on here tonight. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm interested to understand mm -hmm. about yeah. Lee Brears is rugby IQ, the development of his mindset and his tactical awareness, his skill development maybe how that translates into his coaching, but, but more so, we're probably looking at, the lazy analysis of our guest tonight would be that he naturally was born to play rugby league and he had a gift and he was always gonna be good at it. And I, don't, I think that's bullshit. I think that's fucking bullshit. In because, what sense? Because I think he practiced more. He loved playing rugby. You're, you're a good golfer, Lee, aren't you? Yeah. Because you love, he, he loves 
the detail of skill and executing skill. And, and, and when you, there's certain sports people who love to, to shape a ball, to watch a ball, to pass a ball, to kick a ball and change how it goes. Mm. And, and for me, Lee's one of those guys, but his obsession with the skill of rugby fascinates me because we speak so much about athletic development, about training people in the gym and whatnot, mm. that we forget about that. It's yeah. a lost understanding in, in sport because of you know athletic development. So that's why I'm interested okay. in our guests. So get to that now. I mean, mm -hmm. what's, your, what's your response to that, please? Well, thank you very much for that comment. But yeah, you, you are right, John. I, I wasn't great in the gym, far from it. I didn't really like fitness, mm. far from it. But what I did do was I loved to, when the ball come out, I could run all day, every day, mm -hmm. because that took my mind off, off being tired, if you like. And so I, the detail was, so, so for instance, an, an old coach later said to me after I retired, he said, Lee, do you know why we played tick and pass a lot in football a lot? I said, no, I said, because you wouldn't do any fitness. <laughs> he says, but if you got a ball in your hand, we yeah. could leave you all day. Yeah. So that was the challenge then, was the challenge was, I suppose if you put in math, mathematician terms, you like numbers, et cetera, et cetera. I like to see body shapes and see how the game slows down a lot and, and seeing different pictures in my head. And I've got mem for photographic memory and I can see things. And if I see things, I can go back and see it again. And so well, that's in, as in visualization, visualization. Yeah. So I did a lot of visualization through my career where people would, I always found it fascinating was, uh, was when there was an extras group, people would go, well, I'll do an extra gym session. Mm. I'll do an extra fitness session. They would never do an extra skill session. Where I was the other way, mm. I'd always do the extra skill. Maybe I should have done the extra weights and they should have done mm. extra skill, extra. But I would do all my training kind of on the in the video room. So I'd spend hours on hours of looking for different body movements in teams, looking for just a little turn of hips or if somebody's going to jam in, I'll know when he's going to jam. That, that sounds like the, the coach in you at a very young age. Yeah, possibly. Uh, it's, it's where I found the edge. I wasn't going to get the edge physically. Mm. And so I had to get it mentally. So I got the edge by visualizing it in my head, playing it around each time, planning what I was going to do. People thought that actually it was all off the cuff and I didn't know what I was going to do. It was all planned. Well, I say all planned. That's was, really, yeah. isn't that, because that's exactly yeah. what Robbo said to us. Yeah, in did, terms yeah. of everyone sort of sometimes accused him of just being this, you know, it all being improvised yeah. and whatever. And actually he used to were, manipulate he, he, defenders, he the didn't science, he? Yeah. Didn't he of it? People think he had good footwork, but he used to manipulate a defender to go a certain way. Mm. And then he'd react to what they would do. Mm. It, it just it strikes me talking to you there, Lee, was as a young age, were you that, that kid that always played touching pass, had a ball in his hands, kicking, passing, always kind of just revolving his life around a rugby ball or a football or... Yeah, well, I grew up in that era where there was nothing much else to do. We didn't really play on computers, etc. But I did kind of a data for uh, when I was coaching Warrington Academy for the Youth. And basically, kids nowadays, they would train an hour at the, on a Tuesday, an hour on Thursday. Uh, if they're lucky, they might do an hour at school. And then they'll play on a Sunday. So you're looking at four hours. If you did probably five, six hours max, that'd be... I worked out that I was doing 38 hours a week. Wow. So mm. school, you'd arrive at school, you'd get at school. 30 minutes before you, you play. Dinner time, you get another hour. 
after school, you probably have rugby, because we did a lot of rugby after school. You probably do an hour though. Come home, have some tea, I'll be out till eight, nine o'clock on the bowling green. That would have been on a Monday. Tuesday, I'd do the same, but I'd go training at my, my amateur club, Thatcher Reef Crusaders, yeah. St. Helens Crusaders then. Back home, onto the bowling green. Mm. Wednesday would be same as Monday. Thursday would be same as... Just to confirm on the bowling green, you're playing rugby, not crown green balls. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The yeah. bowling green, we kick the ball and the ballers off. <laughs> yeah, to play that's rugby. fine. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, just that's for clarity. Knock about. <laughs> Starting a different type of ball. <laughs> yeah. Though, yeah. yeah. Well, we caressed it down the yeah, green. It's, it's all about angling balls, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah, and then throw in school games, town team games. Yeah. Playing football, playing rugby on a weekend. I used to play rugby in the morning, football in an afternoon on a Sunday. Yeah. Saturday, you play town team football and rugby, if, if that was and What going age on. are we talking here? We're talking from anything up to, you know, nine years so, of so age. That, to that intrigues me, just listening yeah. to that, because, look, I'm, I'm not comparing it to my eight-year-old brain, because I've never went on to be an athlete, but I'm just thinking a lot of kids at eight and still, you know, kids who, who went into professional sport. That's, that's an extreme discipline at such a young age. So where, where, the obvious question is where that comes from. Well, I suppose it's, it's the only thing you could do back then, and don't yeah. get me wrong, society's changed. Yeah. Society changed a hell of a lot, so you, the kids can't go and do what I did. Well, I, I was a four-year-old when I first started playing rugby. Mm. I was, you know, I wasn't a great kid. I was four years of age. I was knocking around the streets at four years of age with nine-year-olds, mm. just messing about. That's where the rugby come in, because they all played. Yeah. So I was just hanging about being naughty. So you couldn't do that now. Mm. You couldn't do that now. After time, mum and dad didn't know what it was. But that was fine, because that was 40 years ago. That's yeah. what people did. And so, yeah, it, it was, that's what I, I grew up to learn the game. It wasn't learning the game at training. I grew it on, we used seriously, there was me and my mate, uh, Gary Smith, and the old plantations in the street was, it was probably wasn't as wide as this where I'm to window. So probably six meters, mm. eight meters long, it used to have hedge, hedges around it. And we used to play on that from, well, it was at junior school, so probably seven till Till being 10 years of age, every day, yeah. 1v1, for hours on end, and then we'd finish every day, best mates, finish every day with a fight. <laughs> <laughs> a proper fight? A proper fight. How would you, how'd you go? What's what the point? score? Oh, it was, it was good. It? I was quite hard when I was younger, believe <laughs> it or not. I'm, I'm absolutely, <laughs> as we all know, I'm, so, I'm so soft Were you, were you cocky or street? I was cock at school. Every day, <laughs> were you the street so, fighter? So, so the... Gary was, he, he went to school at St. Teresa's. I went to school at St. Luke's. Mm. In between, there would be a row of, there was row, one row, two. There was two rows of houses, two streets. Then Nosey Road. In between, yeah, then there was Nosey Road on that side. And in between, there was entries. What, I don't was know that no man's land between you and Gary? Yeah, and that's, that's where you... we used to organise all school fights. <laughs> so you're not, you're not junior part. You, you, you were basically sort of Brad Pitt, you were Fight Club. You were. Well, I wouldn't say that. More, I'm John Claude Van Damme. Vlad, Brad <laughs> <laughs> but that, it's such a beautiful image, not, not necessarily the fighting. Image, no, no, but yeah. the, the, the growing up in the shadows of Knowlesley Road. I mean, oh, I yeah. you, didn't, you never went on to you know, play too long for St. Helens, yeah. but, uh, and we'll get to that in a minute. But um, you, I take it you could sort of hear the roar on match days and so on, and so that was a big part of your childhood. It was all my childhood. While you were fighting. Yeah, every day. <laughs> it was all my childhood. I, I always tell a story about, you know, people go to church on a Sunday. Nosey Road was my church. You know, we used to climb over the ground when no games were on. We used to play hide and see, you know, every game you could think of at Nosey Road, we'd play it. 
play rugby as well. How good's that? You're playing in the stadium. We had our own little hole, what we could climb through. Yeah. Well, the groundsman, Neil Olden, it was the ex-players, uh, Phil Vivas. We just get chased off them regular. So you never put, you could, you could always sort of squeeze your way in without a ticket. Always. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, the story goes, obviously, when I signed for, for Saints, they offered me uh, two season tickets and a tracksuit. I said, I don't need the season tickets because I climb over anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we used to climb over me and my dad. Tracks, though, yeah? You and yeah. your dad as well? Yeah, so my dad, my dad would have been 50 at the time. Is it, you know, he's, yeah, he would be. He's 86 now. So we, obviously we didn't have much money, but we'd either climb over yeah. or he would, he would pay and I would go under the, the turnstiles. Yeah, well, while or he was we, paying, he was like, look, there's a bird, and then you'd go yeah, under it. Yeah, under the turnstiles. Or we would actually wait for half time because back then, at half free. time, the free. gates opened. Yeah, they do, yeah. So we'd do that as well. Yeah. So it's Amazing. great, great well, childhood. This is the, the, the interesting thing about Lee's childhood, and I think one thing that, you know, we spoke about you developing your talent by practice, by playing, just by being close to the game and playing it every day. It's an obsession with the game. Mm -hmm. Nothing else, the game. And we forget about what rugby is. It's a game. And that's why I brought golf up before, because golf's a game, isn't it? Yeah. It's not, it's not, like a series of highlight clips, or yeah. it's not like just a series of actions. Mm -hmm. The game is like a beautiful 3D, a thousand things happening at once. And, and what Lee did in his childhood, which I find really interesting, is started to understand the detail of the bigger picture, yeah. of the full game, of the game that he was playing. And people don't do that. No. I think we've lost that. The most prolific people in the game now touch the ball a lot. They get involved a lot. Jack Wellsby gets involved a lot. Mm. Therefore, he understands situations better than other players just because he's involved as much as what he is. Mm. And all the time in sport, we spoke about sports science, about running meters, about all of this bullshit. Yeah. It's the game. Yeah. We're playing a game. Well, well, you weren't doing, you weren't training, you weren't doing drills. You were playing, weren't you? Yeah. You were, you were fun, it was enjoyment. And that's where the, the skill acquisition comes up, comes along, isn't it? Where you, the ten thousand hours, ten thousand hours theory is the amount of time you're passing the ball compared to everybody else, and that in your mind, that's what gets you good because you, you end up seeing things and controlling the ball differently, differently to everybody else, don't you? Because it is, and I, there's a couple of things I, I go on with that. I, I can actually shut my eyes, and you can give me a rugby ball, and I'll tell you which kit make it is. Be a Steeden, a Gilbert, wow. a Puma. And I'll tell you by feel. Because I've had, I've had, you know, it's not something that I show off about. It's just that I've had that many yeah, yeah. rugby balls. I actually collect rugby balls. Collect them for me, some me now. It's, I just, I've got a fascination with it. And got, you got, in what sense? Is it like just one match balls or any any kind of rugby ball? So if there's a new rugby ball, well, I'll we'd heard this, Lee. So we've got a bag of old balls behind you, and we're just going to put one <laughs> in your. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get a bet on it? <laughs> which, is your, which is your favourite? Which is your favourite? <laughs> my favourite balls. Uh, do you know, I, I used to love the Puma balls. Yeah, <laughs> I did. They were class. What about the eight yeah. panel that was the eight panel was Gilbert, nearly yeah. a football. It was that round. They'd be easy for tell, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> the eight panels. But yeah, yeah class. So, so you know, obviously a, rug, a rugby league nerd from a very young age. Nerd. And just lived and breathed everything to do with it. You know, Absolute nerd. They didn't have sticker books, did they? Rugby league. I mean, that's something they should have yeah. got into. You know, trying to bring young kids into the games because the football equivalent back then is one of the paninis, and that's mm. how you get to know everyone and the profiles. Yeah. But nerd. you know, could could you have sort of Said every player from, yeah. from Huddersfield and Wigan and Wakefield back Quite then. Quite possible. Yeah. Yeah, I am a, a nerd. Uh, and it's the only thing I probably am a nerd at. But going back to Mark's 10,000 hour rule, and yeah. I go back to my visualisation when we played at Wembley in 2009. 
I was a really nervous player, believe it or not, and I used to be violently sick, whether we were playing Swinton, Wigan, etc. Uh, we played Wigan in the semi-final. The I played Cup. that day. You did play, yeah, at Widnes, and uh, I was sick from the first day of the week yeah. all the way up to the final, uh, to the semi-final. That sounds like the most horrific preparation it for was an horrendous. athlete before. No sleep, waking up, violently sick. Dehydrated. Everything. No nutrients inside yeah. you. Wow. Played the game. I was sick before the game. Half time, sick again. Played the game, won. You killed it as well, didn't you? You scored late yeah, on. Yeah, scored late on, yeah. Uh, so I'm thinking, oh, shit. We've got to go through all that to go at Wembley. Yeah. I can't handle that. Wembley week comes, not sick. Monday, fine. Just calm. Tuesday, calm. Wednesday, exit. Gets to Wembley. And I could tell you by the second when I'm usually sick. Three o'clock kickoff, it's usually 17 minutes past two. Uh, so just to interrupt you there, like, so what is it that brings that on? It's just a, a nervous. Just nerves. That I, I need to play well to make sure the team win. And, and an absolute fear of failure. Is it anxiety? Yep. Everything going through my head, I visualise what's. But at the end of it, I need to play well. I suppose then, because I've done it a while, that it becomes superstition as well. Maybe I'm the same as that. Yeah. I was sick before every game. Yeah. Really? So you so almost make yourself sick. You feel like you have to. It be just, yeah, it just come. No, it come. It just get it, get it out of the way. Don't there you? we go. Bang. Yeah. So the final comes. It's 17 minutes past two, and I'm going. I'm all right. What's going on? This is not. This is not right. I'm fine. Not one bit of. Not one bit of nerves. I love it that you're worried about not being sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now we're you're worried. Past. Now you're yeah. worried about not being violently not, sick. Not being violently sick. <laughs> At Wembley, where I've always rented <laughs> playing since being four. Yeah. But you know what? I take it back to, and I've only realised since I've finished playing is every time I went on the bowling green and on the plantation, I was scoring a try to win the game at Wembley. I was kicking a drop goal to win the game yeah. at Wembley. I'd done it ten thousand times in my head. I'd mastered it, and I've ne I've always when I've played at Wembley four times playing. Two, three times coaching. Yeah, mm. I've never been nervous. That's what I used to do. Vis I visualised being a gobshite. Never been. <laughs> yeah, and that worked, Vis Visualised being a gobshite at Nosley Road for ten thousand hours. And for <laughs> twenty years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and never got the nerves and the, the sickness. So, you, so would you physically then, you know, Princess Diana style, make yourself sick? No, I just went a lot. Went along with it. And just went. Well. That's insane. It was just like a, a, a belonger. My son was mascot with me. At yeah. Walking out, and he, you know, probably he kept me quite sane. Yeah, yeah. But it just not one but a second. So that, that was your purpose in life and you were already there? I think so. I mean, yeah. from, from a, again, from a sort of how advanced the game is now, sort of from a nutrition point of view and so on, I mean, that, that just goes against everything that's, you know, all the, all the preparation we, that you would do in the week and all the, the pre-match meals and loading and everything that you have to do as players, no? Mm. It's all coming out your body. <laughs> yeah, the, the bacon, sausage, egg and mushrooms and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. The fry up from the morning. <laughs> there was none of the old uh, scrambled egg and sauce, let me tell you. But let's go back, Lee, because I, I'm a bit of a weirdo in the sense that I hope it's not boring for people listening, but I like to have some chronology from it. And we've talked about, you know, being a kid and street fighting and outside Knowsley Road and growing up as a Saints fan. Um, so you, you had, uh, growing up, sister, three brothers. And I, I think I read somewhere that it was that, that was a bit of a nightmare in terms of the, the sibling rivalry and the kind of them putting you in your place. T tell us more about that. Yeah, part of growing up, I was uh, I was a late child to be fair. Uh, my mum was 40, my dad was 43 when they had me. My, my oldest brother, he is 22 years older than me. My next, oh, my sister, I think, is 
20. I think she just turned 60. She won't be happy me saying that, but <laughs> unlucky. Oh, she could be 60 coming up. Well, she could be 35. Yeah, could be. Yeah. She could I'm, look 35. I'm, I'm useless yeah. with, with all that and death to birth, etc. And then my, my, my next brother would be 58. And then I had a brother who passed away. He would be 57 now, I think. Yeah. About that. So, yeah, 56. So you're the baby? And I'm definitely the baby. I think I was a mistake. <laughs> it sounds a lot it, like it. You know you're yeah, a, you're I think it was the time of, of when condoms come on. And it, you know, didn't, didn't know how to use them properly. Yeah, might have split or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's what <laughs> I get told. <laughs> you know, what do I do with me, this? They, they used, my brother and sister said, well, no, we found you on the step in a basket. At Moses. Uh, yeah, so we lived in a three-bedroom council house. Mom, uh, my dad still lives there. So you can imagine we all lived in the same house. I, I, I actually used to sleep in my mum's bed till I was probably 14. Yeah. Uh, mummy's so boy. Definitely mummy's boy, but I think it was just a... I had no other bedroom or bed to be fair. <laughs> uh, so that, yeah, it was, but it was a great childhood. Great childhood. The, obviously, the three brothers and sister used to, used to punish me a bit. Did they uh, get battered, yeah? I suppose that makes you a bit resilient, doesn't it? So mm. they, you're supposed to get it from your sister as well, I could understand. Oh, yeah, the, the three brothers used to pin me down and she put the pillar over me first. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's class. I mean, that is No great, wonder I've got anxiety and I'm claustrophobic. It's what millimetres pillow. Just, <laughs> yeah. just near suffocation, then yeah, they let it just, off. Uh, yeah. You know the old legs <laughs> over the head? <laughs> so you can't breathe. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Is, that, that pillow, is that pillow giving you anxiety? <laughs> yeah, so, but, you know, I, I wouldn't change for the absolutely, they were, they were class, obviously, and our class. Uh, being older, I always had an older brother to, yeah. to go and sort stuff out. Yeah. And we were really tight, and we are really tight as a family. Mm. And, yeah. how, how did that um, move then to Saints come? I mean, obviously, it's around the corner, but then what was the, the driving factor that got you into the, the academy and Saints tempted to have a look at you? Yeah, basically, well, I was 15 and I went on tour to Australia, uh, Northwest Counties tour. There was 36 players on that tour. And 30, 30 players had been signed up. It was a time when a lot of young players got signed up for professional contracts. And I was one of the six what hadn't. Mm. So, I listen, I wasn't a great kid. I wasn't a great kid. I was, I was knocking about uh, with a lot of wrong people. Uh, happy just to go and play on the, on the bowling greens, play rugby. I didn't really think you could play professional. So I would just play, have a laugh. Uh, but, but really, really like, obsessed with playing, but not to the point where I didn't know you could get paid playing rugby league. Yeah. And then went on tour to Australia and thought, do you know what, I want to get signed like these guys would get signed. So originally I was, there was two teams on the tour, I was in the second team. And by the third game I'd made my way up and I was starting half in the first team. A guy who signed for Wigan was in my position. And I, I kind of you know, got in front of him come back from that tour, a different person, you know, I knew what it was to go to the next level. I was still a council kid mm. who messed about on the streets, mm. was happy playing knock and run and getting into mischief. These were other kids who were probably lived in posh, better areas, understood a bit of discipline, etc. And I knew what they wanted. So I, I, I found that when I come off that tour, we, we played against Wigan for St. Helens Town team at Norsley Road and I got man of the match that day and straight after it the the uh, the scout Kevin Crean came up to me and said we'd like to meet with you and your, your parents about coming on board with us so yeah brilliant uh, we, we didn't have a phone at home at the time uh, so you know, he arranged a meeting then he, could, he asked me for the phone number 
Actually, sorry, I give them Karen's number over the road. That's yeah. what we used to do. We used to give Karen's over the road, or a red phone box at the top of the road. <laughs> give a Karen, organise a meeting. And uh, I actually went and signed without mum and dad. <laughs> they didn't even know I'd signed. <laughs> Uh, like for, the, said, for the two season tickets in a tracksuit. Two season tickets in a tracksuit. <laughs> That's what. Yeah, thousand pound every birthday. I, just, uh, I bet they were buzzing with that. One oh, season ticket, wire clippers for the fence. Yeah. And yeah, the yeah, his mum and dad out here will get him on and a all good the deal. Coffee and milk I'd rob from the kiosk <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> so, so what was that like then? Because you break into the Saints team, and you know, it's your boyhood club. It's, it's a dream, isn't it? It's it's a, it's a dream rugby league narrative anyway. The fact that the boy from St Helens and used to kick about on the roads outside is is turning out for the team. Nineteen ninety seven. You help Saints get to a Challenge Cup final, and then days before the final, sixty-five thousand pounds. Thank you very much. I don't, I don't think that would buy you Libres, a modern-day Libres, would it? Sixty-five grand. But then you go to to Warrington, and the kind of that Saints career is over so so quickly. So, how how did that happen? And was that hard to take? Did you want to stay at Saints? It was your your team. Yeah, obviously. It was, to make my debut, I still get goosebumps now from a hometown team. It's just it's immense, and it? it's it's one thing what you always want to do as a growing up. You're from St. Helens, you don't want to go and then play for Wigan, Warrington. You want to play for St. Helens. Mm. If you play, John, if he's in Hull, he wants to play for OKI. You know, he turned, turned his back on the city. Yeah, that's he, he went for money, I know that. Man and Lee's story is very similar. Yeah. 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 So that's what you want to do. And you know, I was really fortunate enough to play in a fantastic team at, at St. Helens. You, know, mm. I, I, you look back at some videos, and literally I, I went in and passed the ball. There's a great interview after a game when Bobby Golden's in a Sky Studio, and do you get man of the match? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. It's yeah. good. I was that watching, was, I was watching some footage of that. Yeah. It's yeah. Was that your last game? To see how, yeah. uh, was it? That know. was the last game against Wigan. Yeah, at, at Central Park, and so I was walking into an unbelievable team. Yeah, Paul Newlove, Chris Joint, Tommy Martin, late Steve Prescott, Alan Hunt, uh, Anthony Sullivan. The list goes on. Yeah. Kieran Cunningham. God, if you're going to go into a team as an 18-year-old halfback, Apollo Perolini, Vila Metalgia, you want to go into that team, believe it or not, mm -hmm. with that. So my stock rose because of what was around me. Uh, and, you know, I was 100% wanted, never even contemplated leaving Saints. I'd, I was actually still on the academy contract of £1,000 a year. Yeah. £29.50 a win. Yeah. Uh, but I was lucky enough that... £29.50 a win. YTS. Uh, and then... Obviously, that contract, I was still on the contract I was playing first team. Uh, and then negotiations started that we, obviously, Saints wanted to keep me after I played in the games. And they offered me £8,000 to turn pro, which, you know, I was, I was really crap at maths and didn't do school. But I know £8,000 is not a lot of money. Could work McDonald's more, but it wasn't about the money at the time. And I suppose what, brought, what really upset me was when we got to Wembley, the logistics of going to Wembley is not just turn up, we're going to Wembley. You've got to uh, book the hotels, get suits, all fitted. And we had, you had a meeting the month before. It was back in May at the time. Mm. And it, it transpired that I wasn't going to be going down with the first team. I was just going to go with the academy, mm. which I thought was, was a bit rubbish, really. I'd never stayed in a hotel, really. I'd definitely never had a suit unless I was going court. <laughs> so I was a bit gutted about that. <laughs> but I walked out of that room, you know, Chris Joint, who I hold very dear, he's, he's a respect so much. You know, he wasn't happy and he kicked off and, you know, saying it's not on. And I walked out of that room, believe it or not, my club, a bit disillusioned. But never, ever did I think, I'm, I want to leave. No way did I want to leave. And then, 
Karen over the road got a phone call and it was Tommy Cunningham, Kieran Cunningham's brother, who was an agent. I didn't even know you. There was only three or four months ago I didn't know you could get paid for playing. Now <laughs> agents, what's an agent? So Tommy said, listen, I want to be your agent. Uh, would, would, you want, would you like to meet up and have a chat? I said, yeah, yeah, well, let's have a chat. He says, oh, Warrington have been on there. They want to take you there. And looking back now, if this phone call would have happened two weeks later, it would have been a lot different. I wouldn't have left since. But I was still angry, still upset. And I met Warrington. And they, you know, they promised me they're going to build a team around me. And, you know, I was going to go full-time. Yeah. I couldn't turn that down. Uh, at that time, I was probably upset, probably a bit gullible. Uh, gullible right in, in what sense? In, in I was... Was I quick to accept? I suppose it worked out. It all worked out in the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. Things happened for a reason. But if I had, if I had my time over again, I probably would have thought about it a bit more. But I'm not like that. I'm, I'm all in. Yeah, Do you yeah. see a better future at Warrington? Because at Saints, you had Bobby Golden and Tommy Martin in front of you. Yeah. Was it more of a, I've got a chance here to kind of make my own, my own name in the game? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, let's, let's not beat about the bush. Bobby Golden was the best scrum half in, it, in the Great Britain. Mm. He was club captain. Tommy Mount was an unbelievable player. Mm. I ain't going to go and play Super League probably for a three or four years if I stay at Saints. So maybe I was right in, in what I was thinking. I got lucky. Well, Warrington, I went straight into Warrington team and I was a, kind of the number one player as a halfback. Go back to my maths, rubbish at maths, but 8,000 and I got 36 grand at Warrington and 36 grand cash in my hand. Yeah. Didn't even have a bank account. Yeah. Under yeah. your mattress. Yeah. Well, mm, you I know about how that. quickly did you blow that? <laughs> well, the story goes. <laughs> the story goes. I was, up, I was just signing for for the club, and it was it was uh, it was on the Friday, and I was up in the in the ex, in the executive boxes at Willowsville. Well, if you've seen the executive box yeah. at Willowsville, let me assure you, they're not that <laughs> far from it. Not that executive. And I'm thinking the the team are doing the captain's run on the on the on the pitch. And I've just signed this contract and I'm thinking, 36 grand in my bank and 36 grand cash. I said, St. Helens is going to get it tonight. Massive. I'm having a big one. <laughs> in walks the coach, Daryl van der Velden. He was a massive Australian, big hands, grabbed me hands and he said, welcome. Welcome to the club, Lee. We, we, we made up that we've, we've signed you. Get downstairs and get, get your training kit on. You're playing on Sunday. And I thought, I said, who, you, who are we playing on Sunday? He said, Saints at Saints. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, we got beat 72 for something like that. So, was it? Welcome to Warrington. Oh wow! I think it was around that score. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a great Sunday, let me tell you. <laughs> Look, quite early on in your Warrington career, um, tragedy struck, and I and you know I haven't even asked you before. I'll be honest with everyone listening, Lee, if we could talk about this, but I have seen you talk about it before. And you know, losing your brother was such a huge part of your your life and your story and the person you've become today. Um, I think you were 21. You mentioned earlier Brian was 13 years older than you. But firstly, before we get on to, to all of that, how, how big a part in your life did he play from a young age? Because what I've read is that he was your biggest supporter. He was well before you were pro, would be on the touchlines, on the sidelines, and, you know, a, a huge push for you at a young age. For sure. And because Brian was still living at home all the way through me living at home as well, that's, we, we formed a bond was... You know, our bond was massive. Uh, Throwing on top of that, that he never missed a game in, in my amateur career. Mm. Like literally never missed a game. So it was horrendous. 
horrendous. Probably took me till maybe ten years ago when I could actually really wow. yeah. realize that it it happened. It sunk in. I couldn't ever go to his grave without crying. Well, let's just rewind a, a little bit, Lee. So for those who, who don't know, um, I mean, he he was drinking in the pub, uh, yeah. in the Black Bull, and he didn't feel well. Went home, turned yellow. Mum took him to, to hospital and he was diagnosed very quickly with, with testicular cancer. This was 2003? One. One, sorry. Just, I mean, your, your memories of, of that time, that horrible time. Well, it's kind of surreal. It's like a, it's not, it's not real. It's not real. You don't think of that happening yeah. to somebody close to you. I'd never even been to a funeral by this time. Mm. Never mind, your brother's got cancer. Probably didn't understand what cancer was. I wasn't academically great. I was just all about rugby league, so I didn't think that deep into stuff like that. And to, to hear that, them words, you know, I've got cancer, it just sends shocks through. It's, it's so hard to describe because it's, the feelings are, are deep, uh, but you just want to, you just want to be positive and get through it. And you know, testicular cancer is not a, you, you, I think it's about eighty percent chance of even higher these days. Yeah, yeah. survival. Yeah. I tell you what, he was unlucky because he only had one testicle. Yeah. He got one took out when he was younger. So did he? Yeah, it's so. I think it might have a, like a replacement, but it's so unlucky. And it's the, my brother would, he was the most gentle, kindest person. Take your time, yeah. Uh, and do you know what? Just live, just live life. Yeah. Like to like to paint on a night with his mates, go to the pub. Um, never did nightclubs. Mm. Didn't have girlfriends. Maybe he was telling us something, but uh, he, he was just a, a class class bloke. Yeah. yeah. Would already had my my daughter, who he absolutely doted on. Yeah. Uh, like. And I suppose that's the hard thing as well, is he didn't see my daughter grow up and didn't ever, ever meet my son. Mm. Now, my son playing rugby league as well, going through what I went through, would, I'd have no doubt that he would have show, shown the same support. He would have yeah. been there every game. Oh, every it? game. Well, can you imagine how proud he'd be with I mean, not just everything you've achieved, the, you know, what you've gone on to do as a player and a coach. I mean, he'd be bursting with pride, wouldn't he? But how hard did that hit you at 21? And and the Breers family. Yeah. I, I, how, how do you even begin to deal with grief like that? I didn't deal with it. That was the thing. I didn't deal with it. And, and it's through no fault of mine. It's not through no fault of anybody else's. You didn't have the support back then that we just got on with it. Mm. Deal with it. It's, you know, I, I, when I look back and I think, people just think, well, it's Lee Breers, the kind of superstar rugby league, tough as old boots, doesn't moan. He'll get on with it. He's fine. That's wrong. When I look back, that's wrong. I'm, I, I probably wanted help, but didn't ask for it. So that's wrong in my part. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it's tough. It's tough, and I didn't deal with it. I 100% went off the rails. 100% went off the rails. I liked to drink because I added, I added the pain, hid the pain. Yeah. I wasn't dependent on alcohol like some reporter said the other day, but. I, I had a drink to hide the pain. That was your coping mechanism. Yeah, yeah. I had the pain. If it was defeat, I'd, I'd have a drink. Yeah. I lost my brother. I want. I didn't want to face up with the facts. I was 21 years of age. 
I had a young family and I just lost my brother. I didn't want to deal with that. No. But, but, but performance-wise, obviously it's, it's, it's killing you inside your head. But I, I guess the before, no one would have known from the performances because you were, you, you were kind of on that such an upward trajectory. It wasn't affecting... Obviously, it would have been affecting you mm -hmm. emotionally and physically and mentally, but it, it never showed as a player, did it? Cause yeah, you hid it away. That, I suppose that's why people think, yeah, you're all right. But, but 80 minutes, he's just solace, and that's, you don't yeah. think about anything. It's a scare. Yeah. And it, the game, the game when, yeah. if you're into sport, that, that way you're competing is maybe some of the only time in your life where thought you don't have to think. No. So when people have you know, big personal traumas in their life, when they're actually playing their sport, is the time where they see it's refuge for them. Yeah, it's because, quite cathartic. Because they're aware, you don't have to think. Like Lee's programmed himself to understand situations that he's in on a rugby field. He's practiced enough where he doesn't have to consciously think. It becomes subconscious how he behaves, how he reacts. So it's escapism. So we all we get this wrong all the time in sport. He's go he's playing well, therefore he's fine, or therefore things are fine. Well, actually, people who are fantastic at sport can play really well and, and be dealing with all sorts of shit in their life, can't they? And, and that, that, it's sort of tricky, that, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when you're playing well and everybody thinks this is fine. The trauma is such a stress yeah. emotionally and on the body, isn't it? Which is why I'm fascinated in this, this time, which is so, so dark for you. You said you, you went off the rails and you were drinking. I mean, all sorts of people have, have done that. I mean, Again, I'm making this all about Jason Robinson, but you know, a couple of weeks ago he was telling us that he was drinking six nights a week to, to numb kind of the reality of mm. being a star, which is That's something is. else in itself. And obviously, you, 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 I mentioned this trajectory that you're on. Everyone was talking about you, this young, exciting talent in the kind of you know, late 90s. Uh, who then got you on the rails? Who, who, who was there to sort of, and, 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 did, and who noticed that you were going off the rails? Family, to, who, who could you turn to at that time? No, I, I just think it was a kind of a progression in life of getting mature, you know, understanding yourself and working things out yourself. I've always worked things out myself. I've never asked for help. Uh, maybe I should. I, I could now. I've, since I've put the career, the rugby league career, the playing career to the side, I'm a totally different person to the player. I'm actually a lot mature growing up. Don't really drink uh, anymore. You know, did two years. Well, obviously, when my mum passed away before that. Uh, what was the last drink? I probably, the last drink I not drink, but the last time I was drunk was when Challenge Cup was May. Mm. Three months ago. It's not that I choose not to. I just don't. Want to. Do you have no reason, to, nothing to kind of escape from in terms nothing of stress? It's just you just chilled Done. all the time. It's not like yeah. you kind of I've had a big game. I need to de-stress. I need to. There's no need to have that coping mechanism because no. the job's too important for that. You you actually, when you're a coach, you're always on to the next game. Yeah. Mm. Players like to celebrate, except after that game, you're right on to it. So not that I choose not to. It's just that I don't need it. Was that... The, the game, you've seen the game evolve, right? Because you're saying about, like, 1990s, mid-1990s, like, different environment. Then you're in a Warrington team. And, you know, that, that had its own challenges, didn't it? Culturally, that, that Warrington team that you were part of had a, had a reputation, didn't it? And now what I'm interested in is you've gone from 95, 6, 7, that sort of era, all the way through to where you are now. And you've seen the full like evolution of the game. 
haven't you? Yeah. And you've been in the dressing rooms of all these, you know, they're tricky environments to be in because you went from the 90s Saints, which was just part-time, but, you know, we're just learning how to be full-time. To, I think the, the interesting bit for me is that Warrington period where Warrington had a reputation for being fantastically talented, but loose, didn't they? And, and that environment itself, for you at that time, must have been a challenge, I imagine. Yeah, and do you know, I was, I was probably one of the main people who made it loose. The Pied you know? Piper. Yeah, you know, and, but I didn't know anything different. I'd yeah. come from a, a kind of a social game and, and it wasn't changing, but when you, when you say loose, rugby league was loose back then. Yeah. Mm. The difference was Warrington weren't winning any trophies. Saints was loose. Wigan yeah. was loose. Yeah. yeah. They were winning trophies. Mm. So that's the difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and, it's, and it, as it's moved on, it's moved on. And, and I don't want to be, and I find myself not being, don't want to be a hypocrite now. And when I say I've seen it all, and I've probably been part of most of it, and it doesn't work. Mm. So, you don't want to keep saying you shouldn't be drinking here because actually I did it. Uh, but I've seen the worst of it. I've seen the best of it and I, and I understand what works. So the knowledge, what I've gained, and it, it's all about knowledge because it's a journey. If I want to be a, where I want to go as a coach, well, I need to grab all of that knowledge from 95 yeah. all the way up to when I finished in 2013 and decipher what the good parts are, what the bad parts are and move forward. Yeah. And it's all about the knowledge. To be fair, I think as a, looking back as a player, it had, it, had, it would add more weight coming from you having experienced every different facet of a rugby league career where you've probably had a party, you haven't, you've won things, you haven't won things. When you give advice, it means a bit more because you've experienced it. Whereas if somebody was straight at 180 or the other end of the spectrum, they don't have as many experiences mm. to pull in terms of you know, giving advice. So I reckon as a young player coming, speaking to you or, or having a chat, you could be really um, well-rounded in your advice to, you, to younger players, I'd say. Yeah, I tried to use that in the academy at the start, when the start of my, amateur, uh, my coaching career. And I used to say to the lads, I said, listen, whatever you think you've done, I've done it a million times worse. So you, nothing will surprise me. So you can come and talk to me. If you're in trouble, you can come talk to me as a friend and we can sort it out and we can deal with it. But don't ever keep it to yourselves because we all make mistakes. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's part of the human race. We, we yeah. make mistakes and we learn from it and get better from it. And, if and you don't get better if you don't learn. And on that, Lee, as well, and, and on John's point, kind of the evolution of the game and responsibilities of coaches, and we're going to get stuck into you know, yeah. culture, which is, again, a, yeah, a, a yeah, five-part yeah, podcast, really, yeah, that you can do something on that, and you'll be brilliant on that, Lee. But that, that time when you lost your brother, and I know you've spoken out about this, and actually you already thought of a plan of having welfare managers at clubs, you know, 12 separate welfare managers, independent of the clubs, you know, therapists, whatever you want to call them, and um, funded by the clubs. You know, you take 500 grand out of budgets and pay for welfare managers. I mean, that was a time when you needed someone like that and, and they didn't exist. And I know it's evolved since, but, but how much should we be considering that? If we're serious in rugby league about welfare, well, we need to change it. We can't have welfare office being S&C blokes. We can't have welfare officers being kit men. We can't have welfare officers being chaplains. We, we need full-time people to dig into it. We can't have people associated with a club because then if I'm a player, and, I, and you know, it's not always the same because some welfares are fantastic, but if I'm a player and I'm going to a welfare officer with something, 
how do I know that's not going back to the coach? What will affect my selection? It might not, it might do. You never know. So I just think that if we're going to do it serious, we need to, the rugby league needs to, our rugby league curse, I know it's a fantastic organisation, is we find some funding from somewhere and we have six independents who look after two clubs each. I think the way you described it as well is welfare is live, it's 24-7. It's live. It's, you know, it's yeah. live. Did you two feel that that was something that was missing? Yeah, 100%, yeah. And, um, like welfare officers at clubs is a car crash. It's a joke. It's a tick box. Yeah. It's just a tick box by the game. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, some of them do an incredible job and there's been some great work done by welfare officers. But if you think a guy with a drug problem at a club is going to go to somebody who wears a club tracksuit and tell them about it, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. If you think somebody who's got a gambling problem is going to go to somebody who is also employed to shoot pigeons at the club or cut the grass at the club or coach the academy at the club, if you think young athletes are going to go and speak to them candidly about their issues, we're joking. So what they've done, they've created roles and budgets there. They need scrapping, rethinking. And welfare is such a broad, it's such a broad thing. Like, do you know what I mean? What we're talking about is welfare is what? Mental welfare. Welfare is, is actually looking after people in, in, in the broadest sense and making sure their needs are met. And there's some things that your employer cannot do that an independent body can, and it need it needs it needs to be done, but whether yeah. you know whether we get there or not, I'm not sure. I couldn't agree more. I've I've been at a club where the welfare officer was the best mate of the head coach. So as much as I really like the guy, I think he's brilliant. <laughs> you, if I go and have a chat with him, and the head coach is watching, like I know full well that he's going to say, "What's what's what's that all about?" So it's just a, it's a compromise of interest and. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it should be at the forefront of the game. I think we've seen some sad stories in Australia recently. Um, Paul Paul Green, a head coach, previous head coach in the North Queensland Cow- Cowboys, um, apparently has, 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 has fallen on hard times and has, has very sad things happened there. So you've seen it closer to you've seen it extremely close at Salford. Yeah, I was I was uh, in the squad when Johnson Turgot um, tried to take his own life. Um, a guy that I would I would see every day, and you'd, you'd know, I wouldn't know anything was going on. He was very jovial around training. He was life and soul of the party. But then, obviously, going away from training, he had some dark times. And I think um, having someone independent who you can trust, who you can speak to, uh, would be really important for, for a lot of young men. Okay. It'd, be, it'd be important in life, though, right? Because yeah. right, suicide's the biggest killer of men under 24. And and look, right, a guy in the street who's a post office, you know, works for the post office. He has got no fucking help whatsoever. So sports people are in this incredibly privileged situation where you've got a doctor, right? You've got a physio. You've got a coach who's looking after you. You've got mentors. You've got people who are telling you how to behave. All of these things are in there. So this, look, I think it needs perspective. We're saying, look, a welfare officer who's independent from the clubs would be ideal. But all of the time, we have to go back to the man on the street who has none of that support. Zero support. And what we've got to say as a sport, actually, and it's what State of Mind started to do, is start talking about it openly and honestly about the issues people had. Lee spoke about his, the death of his brother. Like, that's, power, that's just powerful stuff to people who feel like you can't talk about these things. And there's a balance to be had. Look, I think the more you talk about things, sometimes the more they become realities because that's life, innit? The more you think and talk about something, you can talk yourself into issues. But the everyday man doesn't have anywhere near the support the professional sport has. 
And, and that's one of the bigger issues, the wider societal issues, you know, the issues of where do people reach out to? And in sport, we're very lucky. We do have somewhere to reach out yeah. to. It Can it be better? For sure it can, but we need to be conscious that actually everyday people don't have that. Yeah. You know, where and, do they go? You know? And it's okay as well to talk and be upset. Listen, I couldn't talk to you 10 years ago and not bawl my eyes out. Now, I got upset then, but that's fine as well. Yeah. I still get upset. I'm emotional. Mm -hmm. That's fine to do that because it helps as well. I feel great after I've just done that, but yeah. it's not that I want to do it. It's just that it happens, and, and that's also fine. And but don't be afraid to to go and seek. And, and Lee, on that, I'm actually really interested, and it's definitely not our intention to keep upsetting you, and, and they're uh, extremely upsetting stories for you. I appreciate that. When, when you lost your mum, which was about 18 months ago, can, can you have experience of grief that you actually then knew how to deal with that, or you coped with that better, even though it was such a you know horrific moment in your life because of what had happened to Brian? 100%, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, as upsetting as, as losing mum was, uh, it, yeah, it come come out of the blue and I'd, I'd been and dealt with Brian before and mm. Brian was the first person like I said I'd never been to a funeral in my life I didn't know how to deal with that uh, mum yeah fabulous fabulous woman she was um, me Libra as a rugby league player the person was all down to her because you know she was unbelievable where we were kids well I was a kid my brother and sister a bit older. My dad used to work on oil rigs mm. six weeks at a time, come on for a week back. So she had to deal with all of us, you know, probably two or three jobs at the same time. Uh, she, she's just a wonderful, wonderful person. She was resilient, tough, but so caring, and she would do anything, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, and to lose her as we did in COVID. Yeah. The only, I suppose, saving grace was that is that she, she passed away at home and we could spend three or four hours with her at home because if they would have took her to hospital, yeah. we wouldn't have seen her. Mm. And yeah, oh yeah, I, I, owe, I owe her everything. And, and, and so much of that is important that you, that you process it and everyone has their own way of dealing with grief because you can have PTSD from, from grief. It could kick in 20 years later. It could kick in at any point unless you really sort of work it through. And look, just finally, because I don't want any more Breer's tears, but um, Brie's tears. Yeah, like that's that. the thing. It's better than it's a podcast. Tarnit, Brian Carnet, Brie's beers. I could be got on a t-shirt. But uh, yeah. such a powerful image when I was reading about your brother, is that in 2009 you took the Challenge Cup to the cemetery in St Helens, yeah. and I, just the image of you there alone having a chat with your brother, because obviously his sort of memories were in you in '97, getting to the final and then moving to Warrington, and, and then the first time you win it. I mean, you won it three times in four years. <laughs> I don't know if you did it every single uh, time that you Quite won possible. it. Quite possible. What an Can't amazing image that is. I mean, how powerful was that for you as a moment in your it, life? It's just a, an appreciation. Appreciation for what he went through. Mm. He was with me. Going back to that 2009 final against Wigan, it, that was his birthday on that day. Was it? I scored right near the post. It was weird. The following year, it was his birthday again on the same day, semi-final against Catalan, and I scored on the same, exactly the same place. Same area. Exactly the same place. Wow. It... Oh, it's frightening. Yeah. I've got no, no doubt. I'm not by any means religious, you know, but he was there that day. You believe in spirit? Oh, a million percent. Yeah. And, you know, so there was an appreciation of, you know, thank you. It's as much for him as it was for me. Mm. Amazing, mate. Um, look, those Warrington years, and you, you asked a great yeah. question, and we can get onto culture and you coming into the coaching world, but at, when you um, were in those prime... Lee Brees years as a player 
Debris years, I'm rhyming everything. Debris years. Years and years. Um, 25 years at the club. Quiz question mark, I know you like a little quiz. Um, so during Lee's 425 appearances, right, in the Primrose and Blue, how many points oh. did Breers rack up? Oh. Because it's ridiculous. 1,530. Eight nearly eight times eight. that by... Eight, eight times four. Eight, eight times four. 3,000. What did you say? You said 1,500. It's, it's going to be a good podcast, this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me and you just It's, it's a bigger number than that. About 3,000. Yeah, yeah. six, six a game. Average, eight a game average for 400 right. games. Eight times four is... I don't know. Uh, 3,200. Yeah, mm, two, two and a half thousand. Very good. 2,586. Well, there you go. That's, where, that's the math there I was trying to get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've yeah. got about 40 <laughs> points in my career. Three, obviously, three Challenge Cups in the, the four seasons, in that space of four seasons, incredible as well. J just your memories, and then obviously, 17 years there as a player, 25 if you include the, the time as a coach as well. The, the memory sort of summed up into one beautiful answer, Lee. <laughs> Absolute dream job. Warrington, I loved it. I loved, I loved. Now that I can look back at it, I just love the, the roller coaster ride. Mm. Got there from Saints, left a, a world class side in Saints to go to Warrington to fight relegation. Fought relegation for a few years, started to climb. You know, Paul Cullum took over, fabulous coach. Uh, and then Tony Smith come in and we kicked again. We started to win trophies and it plateaued out. And obviously, uh, you know, it was just an unbelievable time. I owe everything to Warrington. Yeah. It's a fabulous club. And absolutely, I've got friends for life at the club. The owner, Simon Ran, Stuart Middleton, who come on board later on. But, you know. Simon was massive for that club. Well, I was going to say, I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know an owner that's had such an impact on a club like yeah. Warrington back in the late 90s, early 2000s, playing at Wolderspoo, which was very run down. They weren't, they were, they were a rugby league town to a certain extent, but to see them now, they're one of the superpowers of, of rugby league in this country, aren't yeah, they? He, yeah, Simon's an absolute diamond. And you know, the mad thing about Simon, he's just a fan. Yeah. He's just a fan. If he walked past us now, we wouldn't even recognize that he was a Warrington owner. That is a massive pop concert. You know, it's, he's just an absolute diamond of a bloke. And he looked, he really did look, look after me and, and guide me through. He's just a great bloke. And well, how much did the, the club change then in 2003 when Simon Moran came in? Because, I mean, you've experienced it at Wigan now, and I think the owner there makes Simon Moran look like a pauper, no? With what's happened with, with, with the Wigan investment? Oh, the, the new Wigan, I'm not too quite sure on well, that. Well, from what I've heard, he's got some... Yeah. Wellington? No, no. The, the, new, the new investor. Oh, well, not privy yeah. to that one. Oh. Might, but might anyway, so, but, so, but, it, but in 03... W Will did, Perry's what the, the scoop man. What did Simon Moran bring to that club, apart from the well, cash? It, you know, it what, how did it change so much? It kind of made it attractive, Warrington attractive. So Warrington playing at Wildersville, it was called a zoo for a reason. You know, the, on the pitch, they were full of animals and, and it was a shed, really. It was a nightclub on one side. Yeah, a nightclub on that side. Actually, that was Simon's first gig in there. He, he brought, his first gig ever was the uh, Stone Roses. Was it? There, yeah, yeah. At that place? Yeah, Amazing. in there, so. Uh, yeah, so he's, he, he's, he's that's revolutionized where the club. Brown's a Warrington boy, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, and so we went from that getting 6,000 fans at Wildersfield. So a beautiful state-of-the-art stadium back in 2003. Yeah. He took us to the next level. You know, he backed us, put his money where his mouth was. Uh, and and then we seen the, the rise of Warrington, really. And it's still rising. You know, they've, we've, we've only been real, they've, they've, the club have only really been successful since 2009. So they've not been, 
a hell of a lot of time being successful. And people say they should win a grand final. Well, yeah, they should with some of the teams we've had, but it takes time. It takes time. What are your memories? Obviously, you played mm -hmm. some more Lee's twilight years, Mark. But yeah. you, you know, we're playing Breers in his prime. What? Yeah, Breers years. Um, like that. I think my take on on that period of Warrington was like incredibly talented team, like incredibly talented team who I, I just felt I had so many like stars, you know, like star mm. players. And I think always the challenge for Warrington was getting all of that together, you know, like and making sense of like, and even to now really is a lot of big names together takes, <laughs> it takes just time to get them to gel. And, and I feel like because maybe someone like Simon has come in and we'll try and build a team, I think it's really difficult to do that unless you've just got limitless funds and it's not you're in a salary cap sport in rugby league. So you can't just you can't do a Man City or you know what I mean, and you can't just absolutely change the game and get the best players. There's a limitation to it. And and, and I felt like Warrington at that time, through Lee, Martin Gleason, I think, you know, at that time just incredibly talented squad and 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 that was like the rebirth of warrington as a club but it was raw it was like really embryonic it wasn't like didn't feel established like saints and wigan it felt like renegade a bit rebellious you know like long building hair. from the top instead of the bottom yeah yeah mm. and academies it was, yeah and it was it was long-haired lads who were getting paid a lot of money mm. played a lot of guitar you know what I mean? You talk about Gleeson, because yeah, I, yeah. I work paid a lot of money. Well, yeah. <laughs> Gleeson's paid a lot of money. But Martin Gleeson was paid a lot of money. But what happened then, and you are totally right, John, in what you're saying, but you look at Leeds, mm. Wigan, Saints, they had academies, strong academies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had a, you know, a conveyor belt of player. That was a blessing for them, wasn't it? Because yeah. they, you know, you've got this continuity. You can start to highlight players and bring players through. And I think Warrington's big challenge from a standing start was to get to compete, mm -hmm. which I think they did, which is incredible. But the challenge then to convert that into just competing in the top three or four to winning the comp, the difference is youth. Yeah. And not only, like Lee Breers is a, is a product of the St. Helens Town youth. You know, and he was like part of that system. In the, and, and, and St. Helens, Wigan and Leeds, if we're being frank, produce a predominant amount of rugby league players. Maybe Bradford have, have produced some. But past, yeah. look, though their academies have been leading the way for a number of years. And there's a lot of other great academies now and all of that. Well, we're on to culture, and, aren't we? But just going back to the thing with the salary cap sport is that if you're Warrington, you have to recruit players. So you have to sign the best players. But say a sense now, they see Jack Wellsby and they got a five-year contract, you stay with us. And they've got him locked in for five years for steps contract, step salary each year, goes up a little bit. But for a team like Warrington, you've got to sign someone and well, attract them with money. You can't just get them on a conveyor belt and just get them locked in for a long time. So back then, it's so much harder on a salary Yeah, back then, sport. exactly right. But now, look, if you look at Thewlis and Conor Wrench, mm. you know, they, it's different now. They've, they've, got young, they've got young guys, I believe, who they can hang their hat on. Yeah. But when Lee was there, you know, we signed Lee Brears. Well, you know, it was Alfie Langer. It was mm. Nick Howe. It, yeah. it, it was it was it was it was let's it's a star culture instead yeah. of commitment. Galacticos like it was like Real Madrid. It's, it's Barcelona, Real Madrid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it 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 only works. You're probably why we could win a Challenge Cup because you only had to win five games. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So you could get yourself up for that. Mm. Why you can't win a Grand Finals because the culture of the star culture and the commitment culture. You know, you don't win 34 games and then a Grand Final. 
That's why you, that's why it is. Yeah, I understand yeah. that now, being a coach, yeah. what it is, what it takes as well to, to get it. Yeah, yeah. I know which one I when I said before about the knowledge and how it works and siphoning stuff. A million percent no. So first of all, you've got to identify what does a, in this case what does a Warrington Wolves rugby league player look like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you can't identify that, well, you don't know what you're looking for. When did you guys get a, a picture of that? Because culture is a fascinating topic. We've done it loads on this podcast. But apart from going to some bloody good gigs, I imagine, with SJM and uh, every concert under the sun, what, what was, was life like? And when did, did you establish that of what a Warrington Wolves player looked like? Because you, yeah. you had some unbelievable years and some unbelievable players. I don't think they still know what a Warrington Wolves player looks like. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I might be wrong. I might, I'm not privy to what they that club talks about now. But 25 but it, years, Lee, you've got a good But it idea. didn't... So when I took over the coaching, and I was an academy coach as well, so I was over everything, what does it look like? Yeah. What do you want me to go and sign? But you're the visualiser. I'm not the boss. Yeah, but you still, mm. as a coach would have, and as a player would have... Yeah, it's, it's got to be what the... Let's mm. remember, coaches come and go. Yeah. yeah. What does a Saints player look like, John? Well, he's highly skillful and he's fast. Yeah, yeah. What does a Wigan player look like? Oh. Well, he's committed mm. and he's aggressive mm. and yeah, he'll have leg speed. Yeah. So that will stay way longer than any coach. Yeah. And that's what you've got to, you've got to establish what you want, what does it look like, and then you can build your team around it. Then you just pick and, well, and put good players around. It's that. evident to see Sean Wayne had a massive influence at Wigan, didn't he? And you can see the players that have come through at Wigan's academy the last few years. They were moulded... In, in the style of a Sean Wayne style rugby. You look at Ali Partington, you look at Ethan Havard, you look at um, Morgan Smithies. They're all forwards that play in his style. And it's, pro it's a culture that you always allude to, Will. It's, it's a precedent that the, the coach, the head coach, the head honcho sets, this is our kind of player. Yeah, isn't? and it needs to evolve as well because that yeah. wasn't going to work for Wigan for full stop. No. Like that, 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 what you're describing there, I think was Wigan's potential, their pitfall, because what they started doing is replicating young, aggressive athletes. And I was like, well, I was bored watching mm -hmm. them thinking, what are you going to do? Just run out the line yeah. every now and again and whack someone. And I'm like, yeah. you, you well, know. They had an, they had no, an they identity. Did, they though, did, but that was built on a time when Michael Maguire had Brett Finch, he had, he had detailed rugby brains around young athletic people. And, and, and I, I believe you're right, Flash, they had a strong identity, but you have to, that, that, that's ne it's never fixed in sport. When you get transfixed in, this is what we do. So Brizzy's saying, what's a Warrington player look like? Well, like it, there's almost for me a question that they need to first define what that is, but then be humble enough to redefine it and change. And like, what's a Wigan player about? Well. We talk about this committed culture and this aggressive culture. I get it, this warrior-like mentality. I get that. But when you put Jay Field and Bevan French in that, then all of a sudden we're talking about a different organism altogether. And, then, and they maybe are not that style of play. So what we're talking about is commitment. And I don't think Warrington had a commitment culture. They didn't have people who committed to a cause, who give themselves to a cause, who would drop everything for the cause. One of that is one, they have to pay too much money for people because they're bringing people in. And therefore, sometimes you get questionable recruits. Second is you get a lot of people who get paid a lot of money and there's not a depth to a squad. And that brings its own challenges. So I think Warrington has been a really unique challenge in the history of Super League. And I think they've done amazingly well to get to where they've got yeah, to. Yeah, for sure. But they need to go to that next level. Of course they do. And, and culture's a buzzword. What's only come in really yeah. for the last five years, six years? Yeah. It's, it has. It's, what is culture? Yeah. Everybody's got a different kind of culture. Yeah. It's 
you know, it does me head in when people say, well, the culture's this and culture's that. What is culture? Culture's yeah. life. You know, we, we, we spend a lot of time at Wigan on it, but culture's life and the, the how different is it to identity? Because that's exactly what I was going to ask you of the Paul Cullen years. And you are, you've said no a lot. No culture, because there wasn't. It was just no. rugby league. But it, was, but it was evolving then into uh, a couple of coaches in between or whatever, and Tony coming Tony in, I think, in 2008. Yeah. But Tony and we still won't mention the, culture. No. No. But something in the sense that, you you know, three, three Professionalism in four you probably years, say. there was a big change. Yeah. Well, you just got a better coach, better player, and moulding that player. So probably Tony knew what player he wanted and didn't have to chase the... We had players on good money but we forget him we had Adrian Morley he was an unbelievable leader Michael Monan unbelievable leader Matt King an Aussie international leader so straight away myself leader uh, Benny Westwood Benny Westwood Gareth Carver we had unbelievable players yeah. and we could kind of run the team Tony used to just facilitate us doing what we do we'd run it uh, and, and they probably after that then lost what they needed I reckon after 2030, when the, the kind of that group got split up, then they lost it. So it's solely the coach's responsibility to build this so-called culture. I, I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Well, but it's not down to coach. a strong playing unit of leaders. No. no. I mean, no, the Helen, you could argue that over the years the players. Well, drove the leaders. That on the, the, um, they, do, they do. They give you a bit of continuity if you yeah. get the right players in place. But it's bigger than that, isn't it? The club is. Like yeah. sports clubs are bigger than a current group of players. And what you get is if you get a strong identity as a club, then people come in and buy into it. Mm -hmm. If the identity of your club is just a little bit flimsy, then weaker characters can just come in and blow it to bits. Yeah. And some of the stronger clubs in sport just aren't, don't flex for other people. It's like, this is, this is it. And when you walk into a club and you understand, when I walked into St. Helens as a club, I understood it straight away. I understood it within days of being there. And, and I walked into, say, Toronto as a club. You walk in and, like, I don't understand that. I, this, what, what is this? I don't understand any of it. And, and as, a, as, a, as a player, if you walk into an environment, you're like a machine. If you understand the environment and you get it straight away, you fit in or you can't be created quickly. It doesn't have to come from years and years of history like Manchester nah, United. Nah. Well, you could argue they've lost their culture now, you know. Well, yeah, I think Lee's right. Culture is such a vast topic. Culture is like everything. It's every single thing. But when we talk about culture, one thing we attach it to is winning. So what's the difference between Wigan winning this year and as opposed to how maybe they won last year? Can't all be attributed to culture. Some can, mm -hmm. sure. Some is personnel. Yeah. Some is whatever some is things that we don't know because if we knew we i think it's more behavior isn't it because a strong culture you can still lose but it's your behavior you can you can lose but you never give in well united we're saying they're up and down uh, all the time base, that's so basic about just like that's commitment isn't no, it? yeah but it's commitment but it's consistent it's the consistency of it um i remember it's when i signed at salford they'd just come out of a few years of being an absolute mess Ian Watson took over and he was massive on behaviour around the place and how committed we are. And he signed players to to drive that. And now we've seen it at Huddersfield. Well, the first year they were a bit, started off poorly, they came good at the end of the season. Whereas you see a Huddersfield team now, they were playing a similar style to what we when we had a success, relative success at Salford, uh, in terms of how committed they are, how hard they work for each other, the, 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 the drive to never give up and, and and that's 
that's what he kind of pushes as a coach. I think sometimes you can have a coach that can drive it without it being institution, institutionalised from the top. But I think it, it's probably a combination of the two for me. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, you know, we, we have culture meetings every week at Wigan, uh, but it's Matty will lead it. But we have got an open floor, and it's it's really important that everybody voices their opinion. And, you know, it's free speech at the end of the day. It's 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 we it's live for us. It's live it's every single day. We good people. Yeah, we are. We if somebody comes into our organisation, do every player go up and shake his hand? Yeah, they do now. But we had to work on that, and now it's just a natural thing. Was you know, if you come into our organisation, you would be met by each player having a good chat with you guys, mm. wanting to understand your, your story. Being good people, I think, is, is the main thing. You, you, you're a good person, you want to do the right thing. Um, In the 10 minutes we've got left, 10, 12, 15 minutes, just looking at people behind the camera because they're like, we want to go home, but you're not going to go home within the next 15 minutes, if that's all right. Um, so much to discuss, right? And I just wanted to ask you finally on Warrington before we move into Wigan and talk about what's happening in the near future, Lee, which is exciting. Um, two grand finals you got to, because I picked up on something you said about 10 minutes ago about it's one thing being able to win five games and win a Challenge Cup, but to do it over a long period of time and get it. I mean, you did get very close to winning grand finals and you got to two as a player, you got to two as a coach with Warrington, lost against Leeds and Wigan as a, as a player. And then obviously, I mean, I remember stood behind you in the dugout at Old Trafford for the, the coaching ones. It was, is that a massive void for you? And if you have, I don't, I don't want to call it a regret because it's too, cliched but is that something that was just missing from your glorious career capping that and, and why haven't Warrington I, been able to I, do I, it? I, I don't define myself as you know I've, I've won grand finals and challenge cuts to be successful I'm, I'm you know I, I started my story at rugby league at four years of age and it's been 40 years of a journey I'm absolutely unbelievably humbled and, and proud of, of what I've done you know, you know rugby league has given me everything if it doesn't give me a grand final I'm I'm fine with that. I've 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 had a, I've got a wonderful life. I've got two wonderful kids. I've got a wonderful partner. You know, I've got great family support, and and I've actually met most of my friends through rugby league. I've been all over the world. This is from a kid who lives in a council who lived in a council estate in Saint Helens, and all he wanted to do was play rugby league. Didn't want to do school. Didn't want to do anything other than rugby league. I won't be defined if I win a challenge, uh, if I win a grand final or not. Would I like to? Of course, would that drives me? But it only drives me because I want to be successful. And you know, if it, if I get one, I get one. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to work harder on or less. And yeah. I'm, I am really content with with what's gone before me. Just moving into the coaching years then, because well, 2013, if we rewind a little bit, second game of the season against Wigan, you had this this neck injury, which obviously proved to be sort of finite in terms of your, your playing career. You missed 13 games, I think I'm right in saying, and then you ended up coming back and tried to make it work and so on. And it was at the end of that season when you got to a grand final, didn't you, that season? Yeah. And, and at the end of that one, you thought, you got to call it quits. How hard was that decision to make that it was over? I did no decision to make. Just, I, I got told. Right. Uh, so How hard was it to take? It, to take, yeah, it was... How old were you then? I was 35. 35. I was, I just signed in one more year to play one more year. So uh, I, I got... I had a whack at uh, London away, about six games out from the grand final, and uh, I got pins and needles in my hands. That's the only way I knew that I had uh, prolapsed discs because of uh, pins and needles in my hand. 
originally only had one. It went back in, played against London, got a whack, got the pins and needles back. But I, I kind of, well, I told Lash. I told Lash to the physio and said, I've only got a little bit of tingly. So we'll keep an eye on it and we'll keep, uh, keep working around it. Uh, progressively through that six weeks, I lost my right arm. I didn't have a try. I didn't do weights, so I didn't have triceps. Seriously? Yeah, so I lost my right. So I couldn't do, I couldn't grip. I couldn't, if it's yeah. a bottle, kind of bottle coat, I couldn't turn that. I just lost all. But I got away. I, I was blagging my way through it because I, I had a feeling that we'd get to the grand final and have possibly of winning it. Played in the grand final. We were battering Wigan. It was on. I mean, we're going to win the grand final. John Mannon gets knocked out. Uh, Steph Ratchford does his ankle. And I tackled Liam Farrell. Yeah, I know you're surprised at that, but I didn't make a tackle for <laughs> And as I tackled him, I landed like this, and both my arms just went into shock, and I couldn't move my hands, yeah. and my arms, and I couldn't get up, and I'm thinking, oh, something's bad here. Finished the game, I think it was about four or five minutes of the game, and I went to the physio and I said, I've been telling a few pokies, I've got really bad pins and needles in both hands, I've lost my right hand. Uh, he said, Phew. He said, right, we need to scan you. So I got scanned the next day. The problem was that the surgeon was away for a month and I knew that something was wrong. I'd known for six weeks, but I knew there was something serious. So I'm like, four weeks, it was like Chinese torture, not knowing. I goes to the surgeon. As soon as he opens his laptop to see the scan, his face just dropped. And I knew then, and he just said, with his face, with his demeanor, he just said, you cannot ever play contact sports again. Well, I was all right with that because I'd not played contact. <laughs> now, I was upset. I was, God, I was, I was gutted. I broke down, crying, you know, uncontrollably. It's something what I'd loved and taken away from me. But when the next part of what he said, he said, listen, I know you're upset. And I was real, real close with Mr. Shackle, Shackleford. And he said, you're really lucky that you're not sat here in a wheelchair in front of me because you've got three prolapse discs now and they are on your spine. That's why you've got no arm. And it only took where I tackled Liam Farrell. It only took that to slip a bit and then yeah. it was paralyzed. I would have been paralyzed. Jesus. So when you think about it and you put that into perspective mm. and then you only think about, well, I just signed another year. Well, it's not a year, it's six months playing. Mm. And you're 35. And I'm 35. You're not and I'm really content with what months. I've done. Yeah. I went into that place. Yeah. Of course I did. It was rugby league. That's all I knew. Yeah. Two or three months of... But Warrington were fantastic with me because I can't ever thank them enough in that when I was injured for 13 weeks, I, I kind of volunteered to coach the academy on, my, you know, on nights. And after, you know, halfway through that, they gave me a two-year deal for when I finished playing mm. to go into coaching. So they were unbelievable in that way. And I suppose that's why I've, I love them so much. Yeah, they were unbelievable then. Um, and you had some years with Steve Price and you know, learning so much as a number two and life as a number two must be quite intriguing. And you're, you're sponging everything for you know, what you want to be is an elite level head coach which is the plan isn't it I think it was the plan when I finished I've got a 10 year plan I'm, uh, I'm 10 years into it next, next year right. so after that was the plan was I want to be a head coach bang after 10 yeah. years that's changed about two or three times yeah I do no I don't yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy being an assistant coach at the moment just getting knowledge yeah. getting as much knowledge so when we look back through my career I started off an academy coach I was running the academy at Warrington I, I then I was also assistant coach to Wales, Rugby League, coach to World Cup. Then I was England academy coach. Then I was reserve coach at Warrington. Then I was assistant coach for four years, six years. And now Wigan, assistant coach. 
I'm just gaining knowledge for, for when I become. I'm not in a rush to for when be you a head become. coach. For when I become, if I want to become. <laughs> I don't know. I might, might want to be a director of rugby. Pe people, people rush into that, don't they? I, th yeah. I think there's a lot of pressure on young coaches to, to take a head coach's job. I just don't think... You know, I, I think with Kieran Cunningham, for example, maybe not enough experience when he took the job, you know, and, and there's consequences for that. There is. You can and be a great coach and it might not work as the head man. Well, no, it? no, I just think that the head, ultimately a head coach, there's real strict accountability and you don't have any space to make mistakes. Whereas assistant coaching or just a career in coaching is all you are bothered about is improving people ultimately you get to learn, move around, change job, learn, improve, and over time, then become a very competent head coach. But I just don't think we should yeah. force young coaches into a position where they take a job too soon. Like, they were talking about Danny Maguire getting the whole car job permanently, and I was in my mind thinking, wow, like, no. Mm. Just, just no. Coaching on the field is the easy part. Yeah, It's a man management of day to day. That's what you've got to learn. Just because you played rugby for so long, it doesn't mean you can walk in. You've got it's it's a new career. You've got to understand yeah. every facet of that. It's and a different job. Of course it is. It's no, a does job. Matt Pete not disprove that in terms that's, of that's, that's what I was going to say. It's a perfect example of we've got a legend of the game who's 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 been coaching for ten years, having had a great career, and then you have got Matt Pete who was a he's a career coach. That was his job. Mm. So it doesn't doesn't mean mean you can do one and not no. the other, but. It just, it, I think there's, there's got to be less pressure on great co players that they don't have to be yeah. a great coach. It can, can, so, you can be a bit, bit more uh, patient with your approach to it, really. Just, just wrapping up then before we get to, to Wigan and, and working under Matt, what were the feelings and what were the emotions after tw 25 years as a player and a coach at Warrington and there was nothing for you after Steve Price left? I gutted. Like, I just lost my brother again. Gutted. It was my club. It still is my club, I'm still a fan. I still you know, go and watch them when I can. Uh, gutted, but that's the business, that kind of, that's the job I've took. Uh, I understand that. Yeah, hurt, but that club had a, you know, it's prerogative, it's own prerogative to go and get new coaches to bring in what we could not deliver, what I could not deliver for 25 years. Could I say it at the time? No. But now that it's happened, and I've never, so change has never happened in my life. Really, never had big changes. Probably the last change was moving from Saints to, to Warren to 25 years ago. Mm. So that was difficult at the time. Did they see that things were getting stale? Is that the idea? They I'm need, not sure. Can you get stale as a coach, as a voice? Uh, I'm not sure. I was only four years into my coaching, really, at the top level there. But that, you know, they had their own reasons for doing it. And I totally understand that. Mm. Uh, would I like to say, yeah, of course I would. But you know, I'm so glad. That on the flip side, that it happened because I've joined a fabulous organisation yeah, at Wigan. Yeah. You know, it's been a, a breath of fresh air. It's from from day dot. It's just been class. Would I have ever got the opportunity to to do that if if Warrington hadn't said there's no job? Probably not. I would never have thought of going to Wigan. Yeah. But it just fits. It absolutely just fits. And and we talk about sponging information. I mean, I, I, I sort of sponge stuff off Sean Wayne when he talked about that. And that Sean Wayne culture is still there, obviously at Wigan and. Matt's learned a lot from Sean, but um, he talked about, and I know you guys did the podcast with Matt Pete. Yeah. I think the first thing he said to you, the first one we did this season, was about being able to compete. And I mean, you've certainly done that. We're recording this still a few weeks out from the grand final, but you know, Challenge Cup done, and chance of winning the grand final, you can't ask for more in competing than that, can you? 
yeah, exactly. If we, we started November last year, if somebody would have said, you know, come August, end of August, you've won the Challenge Cup and you're second in the league, we'd snatch our hand off, of course we would. We're, we're a new group, new coaching group, a young, real young Super League team. Yeah. A real young Super League team. So we're still on that journey. Uh, and each day is, you know, the challenge of developing these young and moulding these young players into, first and foremost, being good people. It's like what you said, John, about yeah. when you're an assistant, you can, you can do that. And that's why I like to be an assistant. I like to develop people, not just yeah. rugby league players. Yeah, yeah. But I like to give them my experience going back to what you said before. I've had a lot of experience, the good, the bad, the ugly. And, you know, tell them my experiences. Understand that choices Libre has made probably won't work out if you make the same choice. Yeah. So, you know, and then on top of that, the bonus is making them into good rugby league players. And that's a challenge what gets me up every morning to, to go into, it's not work, it's some work you, you're messing about with 40 mates. Back on the yeah. bowling green. It is, it is. <laughs> just a bit, a bit more, a bit better. Yeah, just a touch, but the, best, yeah. the, the kind of coaching philosophies that is play. Have fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if but you we have see fun... That, we see that in Wigan, don't we, this year. The, I think a big difference is, is like the, the freedom, the expression, people playing. Actually, no team scores more long-range mm -hmm. tries than Wigan. They play a bit more. They, they enjoy playing. And, we're, and in it comes we're in the entertainment business. Sorry to yeah, cut you off. We're in the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. We have got a duty to entertain. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it won't work. No. But we're all right with that. Yeah, yeah. Because most of the time it will. And it's, it's going back to the learning. If somebody keeps dropping the ball and you keep going on and on, he ain't ever going to improve. So The know, perfect example the of that was Challenge Cup final, five minutes to go, Harry Smith seeing space, backing his instincts, put that kick through, and, you, and Liam Marshall scored. Yeah. How, had you not had that environment of play, backing what you see, would he have done that? I don't know. We, we play many a games where that kick would be on in yeah. training. Yeah. And it, he's probably done that kick five or six, seven times. It's not something where he's gone... Oh, today, Jermaine McGillivray's shot up. Obviously, yeah. we plan, plant the seed that he does shoot up, but Harry's done that kick mm. over and over again in a training where we're going, just do whatever you've got to do. Play yeah. like you're in the back garden. We always because say, that's what you would have done as a player, wouldn't you? percent. Yeah. And we said, what's the point in having Harry Smith, Jay Field, Bevan French, and go, you're not allowed to do this. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Just go and play. If it doesn't work, so what's the big deal? Go and defend. Yeah, get on the bowling green. It's easy green. for me, Get on the bowling green, lads. Yeah. Come on. Go and defend. I'll be on touch line. <laughs> well, look from, from the bowling green to Brisbane Broncos, because that's the next challenge for Lee Breeze. And w was it always a dream, the NRL as a player, and that didn't happen? It's now you've got to tick that box as a coach? Yeah, I've, it's, it's been a dream since 1993 when I went, in a, I went on tour to Australia. I always loved the place. I suppose because I'm a rugby nerd and it's 24-7, it's straight in, I'm fit straight in because that's me. I watch rugby every day. I actually watch Fox Sports every day because it's rugby 24 seven. Uh, unless John's commentating on Sky, like that. <laughs> <laughs> you voted yes. Yeah, well, exactly. Uh, but yeah, oh, surreal. Uh, I've, I, I started supporting the Brisbane Broncos when they come into the competition Did in you? the mid eighties. Wow. And then to get to play with Alan Langer, Andrew G from that club. Mm. So I've always had kind of a, uh, affiliation, if you like. Brisbane Broncos have been over here probably three times in the World Club Challenge in late 2000. Oh, actually, when I finished coaching in 2014, 15, and maybe 16, I spent 10 days each time with them and Wayne Bennett down in London doing a bit of CPD. 
So I've always had that. I've played with Kevin Walters, the head coach. Oh, is that how, is that how it came about? Well, he's he, head coach now, isn't he? He's head coach at, at the Broncos. And yeah. it, it was kind of had talks last year about it because an assistant coach was, was meant to be coming over here. He was the assistant at uh, the Broncos and he was going to take a head coach's job here and I was going to go the other way. But the head coach, uh, the assistant coach didn't come and then COVID it and so it was too hard for me to get out there. And, uh, and I'm really happy that happened because I found a place in Wigan where, let's make no bones about it, Wigan has got me to Brisbane Broncos because of what they've produced this year. Yeah. If Wigan, if Wigan are in the bottom half of the table this year. As in they put you on the map as a coach? A million percent. Then, yeah? The players have put me on the map because, you know, I'm as good a coach as the players go out and perform. Yeah. So I owe everything to them. And it's just, you know, it's an opportunity that probably took me 10 weeks to... Really? To decide on. And you went, yes, no, yes, no, yes, mm, no, yes, Yeah, no. it was just... Because I've got a lot of things in my life what... You know, I speak about my dad. We lost my mum. My dad's 86. He's going to be on his own. I've got brothers and sisters who look after him, but it's not the same. So I had to put that into consideration. I've also got a daughter who's 25 this year. She'll be staying. My son will be coming. So that's difficult as well. It's not just a case of, yeah, that's the dream I'm going. Yeah. There's a lot of things to, to weigh up. But at the end of the day, the, the, the pros outweighed the cons. And... It's Brisbane Broncos. It's Brisbane Broncos. Say, well, well, what would, what would, it's Brisbane. madness. Well, what, would, what would Brian and your mum it's think of fucking going, Brisbane going no, to Brisbane, Brisbane Broncos? Brisbane, maybe, maybe their team, like, for, for people who don't understand it, what Brisbane is maybe the most iconic yeah. team in the NRL. It, you know, maybe for me, you know, 90s, you know, that, yeah, yeah. that, that era of, of it's, you know. It's the biggest club for me in the world. They've yeah, got 40-odd, yeah. they, they you've played over them, mate. Yeah. 40-odd, 50,000 watching every week. You know, the, the resource, the, the, it's just, it's mind-blowing to, um, to really think that just me, a normal person, who I think I'm a normal, probably got me in a lot of trouble because I just thought I was a normal person. I wasn't a rugby league star. To think that I'm going to be a coach at Brisbane Broncos is just insane. And There's some pressure there, Brizzy. Yeah, that's why I'm an assistant. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is, but pressure's good, isn't it? Pressure's, yeah, it that's is. what you live for. It is. Mm. Uh, and, and to go out and test myself in that arena, in that environment, I think there's only two coaches ever done it before, was Malcolm Rayleigh and Steve McNamara. Yeah. This is real weird, actually, a little story. I, was, I went up to the Summer Bash at Leeds to watch the, uh, the championship clubs, and I, rep, I met Richard Agar uh, beforehand. Good, very good mates with Rich, and uh, him and his Mrs. Calf, and me and my missus, we met just beforehand for a, for a quick drink. And he said, uh, we, we got talking, and, and he said, well, I, I probably won't be here because I've just signed with New Zealand Warriors, so I'll, I'll be over there. And I went, and I looked at him and went, well, I'll see you there because I just signed with Brisbane yesterday. <laughs> That's mega. It was mad. Yeah. You know, but he couldn't announce it because he was still dealing with something. And so you basically, you, you've topped I've Trump topped Trump Trump <laughs> yeah. You were in our old NRL top like, I bet he was buzzing to tell you as well, yeah. weren't it? Uh, it was oh. mad. Breezy will love this. But we, it wasn't meant Smacked to come out it. that way. And yeah. it's like, he well, said it that. And then I went, yeah. I'm going to Brisbane. <laughs> I've got a pair of verses. <laughs> but it was, because we were really good mates. Obviously, we spent time at Warrington oh, together. He taught me a lot. To, it just, I think it's just great for the game, that the British game. That yeah. It's getting the recognition it deserves. Because sometimes it's looked down on upon by over there but the fact that clubs are looking to recruit British coaches mm. I think is great yeah yeah and, you I'm know, going to push you on it again though uh, Lee because um, I, I was quite interested in Chris Radlinski's sort of goodbye statement where he said he doesn't think this is the end of even you not 
in Super League as a coach, but at Wigan. So it, this isn't the end of Lee. Well, yeah. <laughs> it could be yeah. quite, could He's be quite back dark. Back, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you painted a picture of you being quite indecisive, given how successful you've been. Is in like you know, one, you said it took you ten weeks to make that decision, and I appreciate it's not just about you; it's about family and so on. But how likely then, right now in your head, are we to see Lee Briz as a head coach in Super League down the line? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell. But what I will tell you is that when I do decide to, if I do decide to, I would have go through the resume of I'm going off to Brisbane Broncos. I'm fully equipped to be a head coach. I'm fully equipped, more equipped than most people. So what if, I, if I do want to come back, I'm not saying I want to come back to England. More than likely I would. But if I do, I think I'm, I'm more than equipped to do that. And I must say Wigan, and I'm, I mean this, in, from telling them from minute one to, to making the decision, they've been unbelievable, to a point where and you know, Chris said, if it doesn't work, I'll just come back. And I'm like, come back, what, just come back to England? And he said, come back in. Just the quality of the club to say that. When I was having the Zoom, not many, well, nobody knows this in my family. When I was having the Zoom with the chairman to tell him my, my uh, decision as well, you know, I got back to my desk about 20 minutes later and there was a letter, uh, there was a letter typed to my dad who, who comes and watch Wigan all the time. And, and it, was, it was from Chris and, and said, listen, Arthur, Lee is going to make big decisions in his life because of the job he's got, and this is a mega decision. And we're super proud of Lee. You know, he's, he's come in and he's, he's fitted in unbelievably well, and you should be mega proud of him as well, and yeah. like we are. Uh, and, you know, invited him to the chairman's box that week against Warrington. And just to do stuff like that means so much to me. But, but John, that's down to the impact he's made there in that short space of time as well. Yeah, it's for not sure. just down to Wigan being the best. And don't say too many nice things about no, no, it. Yeah, yeah, but we, it, it is a... It's, it's, it a, just it's shows a classic club, people, Wigan. It's that. People think yeah. Wigan is this aggressive, you know, kind of club. and It's not... Do you know why Wigan's successful? Because they care. Mm. Yeah, they wrote, he wrote me a letter when I retired. Yeah. Wigan wrote me a letter. Yeah. Do it like better genuine. than yeah. yeah, They do it for well as well, don't they? Yeah. They do it better than No, surprisingly not. It, it, it was in stark contrast to another. Yeah. They were very classy, they did it to Wellow. And it was well, basically saying, like, Congratulations on a great career. Unbelievable yeah. career, been a fun adversary. Uh, you, the way you competed made us better. The game was better. Our games were better with St. Helens. You know, all of this in a letter, you know, handwritten letter, and you think, Wow. Like, and it's no, genuine. Class touch, yeah, no, isn't it? Yeah. no, it is it's a class, class touch. Yeah. But they, I'm I think still waiting we, for mine. We're going to get in that, right, at the <laughs> minute. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Matt, Matt and Chris and, and you know, Ian Lennon going, massive part of that. That's culture, mm. isn't it? Yeah. That, that's part of yeah. a good culture. Yeah. Where you care, and, and it's all about caring. If, you, if you care for the player, uh, they're going to deliver more for you. Yeah. But the alternative is weird as well, is, 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 is you know, to be a bit narky about it. Do you know what I mean? In sport, we often get like, nah, oh, Lee's le oh, we've committed, oh, we gave him a contract, now he's leaving. It's all ego, it's nonsense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, what happens then is, well, Lee'd never go back as a head coach. He feels a bit, like, shitty about it. So this is the best way to conduct yourself. Would you head coach Warrington, given what happened to you at the end? Would I coach Warrington? I, I wouldn't turn any job down if I wanted to be a head coach. Warrington's a fantastic club. Fantastic club. I wouldn't turn any job, that's too easy. Well, what about Oldham Ruffians? I'll do anything. Oldham, love Oldham. Well, there we go. <laughs> but I wouldn't coach him. Yeah. Lee, mate, it's been so yeah. fascinating spending yeah, the last, what, 90 Good. minutes with you. I find with so many of these guests, John, we could just go on for so much longer and, and people still 
sort of listening to every single word because it's fascinating and it just develops into areas where we weren't even expecting yeah, yeah. it to go. So thank you so much, mate, for your time. Well, and I, look, we're all really excited to see how it works out and what the future holds and, and enjoy Australia. You're going to come back with like a Sam Burgess accent? Nay, definitely not. Nay, nay, nay. 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 <laughs> he's, going to need to, he's going to need a translator in Brisbane. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. thanks. Obviously, looking forward to that. But we've got, I've got a big six weeks yeah. to, to think about and then, you know, really enjoy another month with the stock family. will be ridiculous if you go over there as a Challenge Cup and a Grand Final winning coach yeah and you know hopefully Brisbane are on the rise as well more expectation more pressure mm. and maybe he'll be able all. to invest in oh, something like this that coffee shop we're in. another little mention for the coffee shop the coffee yeah. shop yeah. Yeah. it is, it is super, super impressive place. though yeah, first time I've been it's super impressive yeah. <laughs> That's this is how many customers we usually have as well you will do five pound a can of coke no Lee, top man, thank you so much, mate. Thanks. All the best Cheers, for the future, man. and thank you for coming in. And uh, next time you listen to our beautiful voices and ugly faces... Where are we going to be? We are going to be at the playoff launch, which is at... How exciting. AJ, AJ Bell, Bell Stadium. AJ Bell, back going, we're going back home. Are, are you coming? Yeah. Are you going to be... There'll be people throwing rocks We have some you? Salford fans there, there to welcome John Wilkin, well, please. Who's people with pitchforks? They're going to throw six rocks. Oh, I can dodge God. six. If rocks. you are a Salford fan, and not that we encourage violence on this podcast, but do come down with some rocks. And look, you don't have to throw them. No. But just stand there with them so there's, he knows there's, that you're there. There's enough rocks in the car park. They're not tarmacked, have they? Wow. Oh God. The VIP. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's end it there. We'll see you from the uh, from the playoff. I don't know who we're going to speak to, but we're going to find some interesting people. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Give us a little follow at Out of Your RL on Twitter and review as well please we haven't had any reviews since July we're still 4.8 stars it's not good enough was, was that last review the one that you did yeah bye bye <laughs>